Every little cell in my body is happy. Every little cell in my body is well. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome. Another edition of the NTI Pod Talk. My name is Diane Kaler. I'm the director of Nutrition Therapy Institute. And I, uh, this platform, this podcast is an opportunity for me to interview um, people in our community, uh, around our community, students, graduates, um, and instructors uh, from within our community, but also people outside of our community. And um, these are people who have interest in uh, food, in nutrition, in health, in wellness, holistic health and wellness. And, um, and today uh, I have a guest who is outside of the NTI community, but very much involved in food and health and wellness because of the food. Um, and that is uh, Stefan from Sprout City Farms. And I just realized that I pronounced your name incorrectly. Stefan from Sprout City Farms. Um, so welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Um, I uh, Farmers um, always have a, a connection with because, of course, they are the ones who are producing the foods that I love. So uh, I'm excited to talk about this. So, so welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is great. Yeah. I'm really excited to be here today. So. Thanks. Um, well, so I would love it if you could give us a little bit of, uh, uh, tell us who you are and what your role is at Sprout City Farms, um, and then we'll kind of get into what the farm does and that kind of stuff. Yeah, perfect. That sounds great. So yeah, so thanks again for having me. Uh, name is Stefan Karg, um, and I take whatever form of my name comes out. It's totally fine. So, um, but yeah, I'm the program manager for Sprout City Farms, um, and it's been a really cool position for about the last year. I've been in the position for about a year now um, because it really brings together all of my passions. I'm a plant-loving, nature-obsessed person, um, an educator who's really worked in education from many different sides um, and really always had a passion for connecting people with the natural world back to plants. And through Trusty Farms, I'm able to do that. So my job as program manager is to oversee um, not only the educational programs that we do, we build educational farms, um, but also to oversee our food access programs um, and all of our community engagement programs as well. So um, as a nonprofit farm, we, we kind of have a lot of different buckets and we're always doing a lot of different things. And uh, my position is to kind of make sure that all of the interconnectedness between education, community building, food access, because they're all super interconnected, um, to make sure that they, they stay that way and that we're always thinking about all those aspects, no matter what project we're working on. Nice. Yeah. So um, we probably should do uh, one step backwards. Where is Sprout City Farms located? Yeah, that's a great question. So we don't actually have a home office. We're all based at the farms that we're at. Um, and since we've started in 2010, we've built four farms. Um, and we currently are still managing three of them. Um, so we have one in the Denver Green School, which is like East Denver area. Um, and uh, it's, it's in like the Whittier neighborhood or nearby to that. Um, there's also the Monair Park Farm, which is in Lakewood, um, right at like Sheridan and, and 14th is, uh, or so. So a really hustle and bustle area of town, which is really cool. Um, and then we're also um, our third farm, the one that we're still managing. Um, we're just now building. It's all the way up in Longmont. Um, we've always built urban farms traditionally, but this was a really cool opportunity to get to put a, a 
a bunch of beds, a bunch of uh, farming um, implements and, and make a farm underneath solar panels. Um, there's solar panels going up all over the place, which is a wonderful thing, but they're oftentimes, you know, they have dirt or uh, rocks or grass or something that's a little underutilized with that space. And so we're working with a local solar farmer um, and a bunch of other researchers to figure out, is this a viable option? Is farming underneath solar panels something of the future? And if so, how does it work? And what are the pitfalls? What are the, the strengths? And um, so we're still kind of in the process of building that, but we have one year of farming under our belt there and it's been really good so far. So, um, but yeah, so rounded back, we are typically located in like the front range area, Denver, Boulder County. Okay, nice. Um, all right, so you've just opened up so many questions for me. So one of your farms, well, first of all, you start the farms and manage them, but they're farms um, that are servicing like schools or local communities. Um, is that kind of what I'm understanding? Yeah, yeah, you're right on the right track there. So what we do with our farms and a good example is our first farm that we built. So in 2010, a bunch of groups of a group of farmers, researchers, some teachers from some local schools came together um, with community members and, and really started thinking about what do we want to do with some of the spaces that are that are at underutilized uh, pieces of land. One big one was the Denver Green School was going to be moving to a new location, um, and that had a huge piece of turf, so big that they we built a farm and a garden, and they still have a bunch of turf. So. Mm -hmm. um, but they came together and the community in that in that neighborhood, as well as the school and also um, our founding farmers at the time, um, were really interested in, in getting farming rooted in the city. Um, and so by by reaching out to those landowners um, and coming in and kind of trying to maximize the space, um, we are we're kind of checking all those boxes, the community space, the um, the, the, the school space. So our, all of the kids from the Denver Green School can come out to the farm anytime they want. We also have an integrated like, curriculum with them, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and so the idea was that after we built that first one, that we would continue doing that. And that kind of goes into our name of Sprout City Farms. Is it's almost like a statement. We are Sprouting City Farms. Um, ah, love it. Yeah, it's it's a confusing name sometimes, but that's the way that I keep it straight in my head. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, and so the one that, that's in Monterey Park and in the Lakewood area similar sort of thing. The community was coming together, trying to figure out what to do with this piece of land that was really underutilized. It was a basketball court, some tennis courts before that. Um, those had gotten ripped out and it was just a big kind of bathtub actually because of the concrete walls around it. And the community really wanted access to food as well as um, a place to learn about food and a community gathering space. Um, really just a, a resource for the community that would be based around food. And we were looking for a new place. And so we went in and kind of connected with the city of Lakewood and now we have that farm. So um, we did that at the mental health center of Denver um, at the Dahlia campus, which is also kind of in the East Denver area. And they've hence taken over the entire farm. They hired our farm manager. And we're like, we love this. We're going to do this on our own. And we're like, mm -hmm. that's exactly what we wanted to have happen. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's this most recent one is yet yeah, a big landowner who has, I forget his total acreage, but he has five acres of solar panels. Um, and yeah, just using that land, maximizing the, the amount that we can do with it. Mm -hmm. So in these areas, particularly the one at the school and maybe the, um, you know, the park, uh, mm -hmm. local neighborhood park community, um, are, are they, I mean, I would assume that they're using the foods in the school for the, you know, school lunches and the kids are eating that produce. And so developing that connection with 
you know, here's where my food comes from. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we actually, at the Denver Green School, because we put the farm at that school, that was our first one, we were able to make the first farm to cafeteria program in the state of Colorado, which is really cool. Um, mm -hmm. So the food that we grow at that farm does go to the kitchen. Um, and we work really closely with the kitchen staff to, to not only like implement some new recipes uh, early on so that they could make sure they were incorporating fresh foods in, um, but now it, it's almost like they ask us for what they want from us and we can be like, oh, we're doing a tomato salad. Great. We have, a, we do have a bunch of tomatoes or we have a bunch of kale and greens for this other thing or mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Um, yeah. It's been a really cool partnership. And then being at the, um, at the, at the Monarch Park, not necessarily associated directly with the school, right. but still in that community. Um, we work really closely with that community to figure out what were their needs? Um, what, how did they want that food getting out there? And so it ended up being similar to a Denver green school, just minus the school side where at each of those two Denver kind of based or more urban farms, we have a, a CSA program. So a weekly veggie box that goes for 18 weeks in the summer. Um, each one of those, uh, each one of our farms has about 70 to 80 shares of so 70 to 80 families that are getting those veggies each week. Um, and 50 of those total shares are completely no cost, which is really cool. Um, mm -hmm. We're able to get those to folks that are on SNAP and WIC benefits um, yeah. or anyone who's just experiencing a hardship can, can get one of those boxes from us. Um, we also do mobile farm stands. So once we start having a lot of extra food, because at the beginning we're, we're really focusing on those veggie boxes, but we get to about July and August and we have so much food. We grow <laughs> 10 to 12,000 pounds of food at our farm, at each of our farms each year. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a lot. Um, mm -hmm. It's quite a bit. It's, it's enough to feed 70 families for uh, 18 weeks. But we'll get to a point where we have a lot of extra food. So we set up mobile farm stands in the area. We have, if anyone's ever ridden on one of those bikes between sporting events or something downtown, the pedicabs, mm -hmm. we have in front of you telling bad jokes usually and playing bad music while you ride downtown. Um, we got one of those without the bad jokes and bad music. We got good music. Um, but we converted the entire seating area in the back to a, a, a insulated box. So we can load it up with veggies and really go anywhere within the vicinity of our community and set up a farm stand for folks. Um, so we're really trying to every way we can to get food out there. We just want to be the source of food. We want to be both the producer in the food system, but also help a little bit with that distribution side as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I'm curious, I, I'm, I'm envisioning that because you mentioned that you're serving potentially um, underserved communities, um do you consider yourself like um an, an answer to the complex question of these urban areas that are called food deserts where they don't have good quality food is that something that you guys um sort of put into your thoughts of how, how you're serving the community oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah. um so we, we teach a couple of high school classes and we get to teach them um, about food equity and food deserts. Um, and this other bigger term called food apartheid, um, which has been kind of making its way through the, the food system and food advocacy world. Um, because a lot of the areas that are deemed food deserts are based on big policies that are keeping those places as food deserts, like red yeah. light loans and things like that. So mm -hmm. we absolutely um, see ourselves as, I would say, part of the solution. Um, mm -hmm. because we know that as an organization, we can only do so much and yeah. no nonprofit can be everyone for, or everything for everyone. Mm -hmm. But we do see our, our place in those communities, um, uh, helping to disrupt the, the current food system and be a better food source within those food deserts, food apartheids. Um, which is one reason why 
each one of our farms is placed in a neighborhood or in a community that does have a lot of need um, and that could use a better food source than what they currently have. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it's really cool um, to, to be a part of that um, as a producer and a little bit as a, as a distribution point as well, because we are distributing to the community. Mm -hmm. But then as a bigger whole too, we also, because we're a nonprofit, um, we were able to focus a lot of our efforts um, on advocacy and policy work. And so instead of us as Route City Farms being you know, the main policy advocators, we are going through different coalitions, different um, hunger advocacy groups that are based in Denver, based in Boulder County, based in Colorado, based regionally, um, and being a part of the conversation because we do believe that what we're doing is really helping, is one of the many types of solutions to ending hunger and, and food insecurity within specifically the Denver metro area. Um, and we've seen other farms pop up in the areas too. And then we've been mentors to some of those farms. So we see that, that yes, that is a part of it, mm -hmm. but we can only do so much. And that policy yeah. advocacy work that we're with too is really helping. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely it, it's a it's a part of the solution, but not the entire solution. Um, so you know, we are a nutrition school, our graduate, our students, and then graduates are learning about the nutritional value of foods and of course produce, vegetables um, are a big uh, part of, of eating a nutrient-dense diet and certainly something that we talk about the nutritional, the you know, in-depth um, details of the nutritional value of vegetables and um, uh, how they uh, support health and wellness. And, um, you know, I, th I think so, some of the pushbacks that that we as nutrition therapists get from trying to teach about nutrient density is number one, um, vegetables don't taste good for whatever reason. I don't know why people say that, but you know, vegetables don't taste good. Um, and number two, um, sometimes and in some communities, um, vegetables cost more than eating you know, Cheetos. Yeah. And um, so I think that it's really encouraging to hear about these types of programs that are working in these uh, potentially underserved communities to help bring to the forefront that you, you here, here's, here's where food comes from. First of all, a lot of people don't even know where food comes from. Mm -hmm. um, so that plays into their disconnect from how food matters to impact their health, right? Because they don't even really understand where it comes from. It, you mean, it, it doesn't just come from a box? Like, you know, that, that's, that's, where, that's where food comes from. It's from a box at a grocery store or at a, a gas station, whatever. Um, so I think having that connection of where food comes from is really important. Also, as they are, um, it sounds like they are actually working with you alongside you potentially on the farm, getting their hands in the dirt, being able to touch and harvest. And that generates excitement about wanting to eat the foods that they are playing a role in, or at least seeing um, being produced. And so that can help overcome some of the um, taste things as, as they're you know, getting to sample things. And, um, uh, and then because you are uh, helping provide the food at 
lower no cost, then that overcomes some of that financial challenge. So it's it's a great system overall. You know, I'm in favor wholly over <laughs> of your of Thank your you. your 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 plan and your processes. So that's great. Um, do you want to add anything to to my long? <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that was a question, but <laughs> no, that was that was great. I mean, you did kind of solve a lot of what we're trying to do. Um, it's really rooting farms in the community so that people can see it. Um, so oftentimes farms are really far away. Um, you might want to be a farmer. You got to go far away to learn how to do that. Or you want to go see a farm. You got to drive far away to go do that. Not everyone has that access. And so exactly being able to put your hands in the soil, being able to be part of the community around the farm. Um, we have events throughout the summer, uh, Saturday community events on every last Saturday of the month, starting in May, where we just invite folks out just to be part of the farm to see where their food comes from. And every time we have people out, we try to always have them eat something, whether it's something they picked themselves or something that we're preparing in the past, sometimes with NTI students, which was very fun. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, absolutely. I, I'd say you wrapped that up pretty well. Um, and there's always more that we do because we're a very busy nonprofit. But that's a good sum. Yeah, well, um, I appreciate that you mentioned that that uh, you've had NTI students. So, um, you know, I'm I'm always looking for ways to plug that our students are, you know, really knowledgeable and skilled. And so, if our students wanted to come help volunteer, or even maybe potentially someday be able to get a job with you guys, like you know, um, I, I assume you take volunteers and, and are appreciative of, of volunteers. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess I can speak a little bit to like how to get involved with us as you yeah, yeah. too. So um, we definitely accept volunteers um, starting on Earth Day, which is April 22nd this year. Um, that will start our weekly every Friday, both of our Denver-based farms. So the Lakewood Monair Park Farm and then the Denver Denver Green School Farm. Um, we'll have volunteer days, uh, hours really from 10 to 12 every Friday, starting April 22nd, going all the way through October. So you can just show up and we're always doing something. The farm is a very busy place. So mm -hmm. always something to do. Mm -hmm. um, we also have other opportunities as well, though. Um, and these aren't always listed on our website, but we would love to, um, to pitch it specifically to NTI students actually or to recent grads. But we have farm dinners we do throughout the summer. So we like to invite folks over to the, to the farm, um, usually in a fundraising uh, capacity, but we're going to try some other ones, some more picnic style ones this year as well. We'd love to have folks come and either help talk about the nutrition and help educate people on that, or even be a part mm -hmm. of the chef crew. Um, we're still figuring out who's cooking there, but we can always use more, more chefs. Yeah. Um, and then we also do, we have these uh, Saturday community days, which I was talking about, which we're hoping to bring everyone from the community, um, people from the school, people from down the street, um, any of our partner organizations to come and, and learn a little bit about farming. We'll have a different theme each time, whether it could be composting or um or recipe tasting will be probably a, a component of each one of them um, but we really want to bring people together and just have um more of a, a day to, to build that community around the farm um, and we would love to have recipe tastings or any sort of thing going on with those um, and then once our farm stands start in august and july um we love to have activities at any of our farm stands so if there's any sort of volunteer requirement for any of your students or any Students are just really interested in getting involved with us. Mm -hmm. um, we'd love to have you all out to come hang out with us at a farm stand and talk to people about the veggies that we're that we're we're handing out and we're selling to folks because we try to grow as much culturally relevant foods as possible. Um, but there's always kohlrabi is probably my best example of a food that people are like, well, what is that? Yeah. And we love to teach people about it. And uh, I'm sure you all probably do as well. So yeah, yeah. Well, um, so that that does 
um, bring to the, to the question, what, what kind of foods do you grow? Colorado, I love kohlrabi, one of my favorite yeah. things. What kind of things do you grow? So we grow at each of our farms anywhere, kind of depends on the year and what we're growing, but anywhere from yeah. 70 to like 140 different varieties of wow. that. So um, we grow pretty much everything. If you can mm -hmm. think of vegetable, we'd probably grow it. Um, mm -hmm. Our staples are tomatoes, peppers, greens, squash. Um, there's uh, all the whole brassica family we do really well with. So anything like broccoli, cabbage, um, cauliflower, all that kind of stuff is really, mm -hmm. we do really well with. And this year we're gonna start growing corn again. I think we're gonna do painted corn, um, which is a really cool cultural food, but also genetically a really cool food. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much any vegetable you can think of that's sure. a Colorado food. We even grew okra last year, which is not a Colorado vegetable, but. Yeah, so. yeah, okra is is one of the vegetables Actually, the, probably the only vegetable that I just really don't have a flavor uh, taste for is okra. But they can be kind of slimy. So. Yeah, yeah, it's the texture that gets me. So, all right, nice. Well, so what kind of plans do you have for the future? Um, yeah, great question. So, yeah, um, yeah we we've already done a lot as like, we kind of already yeah. talked. About, um, <laughs> yeah, but we're not not to dismiss all the things you've already <laughs> accomplished. But what do you plan for the future? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, some of the cool things we have working on now. I said we're we're still kind of in that process of building that that fourth farm, the one that's up in Longmont that um, we're really excited about and really seeing what that's going to morph into over the years. Um, we grew in it last year. Last year was our first year. And with any farm, there's going to be hiccups, but especially when you're going underneath solar panels that are all valuable and have their own purpose. So yeah. big plan is to finish building that. And then along with that, while we're finishing to build out the farm and get all of the acreage into production, we're also really hoping to figure out what that community wants from us as well. Um, Longmont in the Boulder County area is, is one of the most insecure cities and areas. Um, so we're, we're lucky that we are able to find a landowner in that area that can kind of we can help fill that need, but we don't know exactly where that need is right now. All of the food, pretty much that we grew there last year, about 8,000 pounds of food, five to 8,000 was donated um, to a local center. And we want to keep doing that, but we know that there's, there's other ways to get food out to people. So we want to figure out what that looks like. Mm -hmm. um, we also just got a really cool grant to rewrite um, all of our farm to school curriculum. So we, when we first started the, the farm at the Denver Green School about 12 years ago now, um, it was very much integrated in the school. Each grade was coming out, all the teachers were really on board, but teacher turnover is a thing that happened. And so over the course of 12 years, there's been a lot of that. Um, there's been a lot of teachers. We had a pandemic that's come through. Mm -hmm. um, and so we got this really cool grant to go back through and really intentionally get the students out into the farm, involved with their current units, with what they're already learning in school. Um, so that by the time a, a student can go from kindergarten to eighth grade at the Denver Green School, they have a middle school component, um, they could actually come be an intern for us and within a couple of years could be an assistant farm manager or so. So we're really trying to create that pipeline, which is mm -hmm. fun for farmers to be able to, to start from interest of farming all the way to, to becoming an actual farmer. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So and then we have a, a bunch of other things, but those yeah. are big highlights. Well, and that's so important because, you know, the statistics are that um, the average age of the American farmer is like, uh, it's, it's over 65, I think. So, yeah. you know, they're all at retirement age or a vast majority of them are at retirement age. And we got to have young people who are interested, have a passion for farming, um, understand the, the role that farming and 
well-produced food, nutrient-dense foods um, bring to health and, and really survivability um, and so that they can take the place of those um, older farmers, but also bring in new ideas and new thoughts and new ways of doing things like growing a farm under you know solar panels like yep. that that's a very innovative <laughs> concept um <clears throat> yeah we're really excited about the future of farming in this country and yeah. that's another aspect that we see like we're a big part of that um we're trying to develop both an intern curriculum that will be uh, more regionally accepted for all urban farms in denver because right now there's on i mean i can count on probably multiple hands how many urban farms there are and we all have our own interns our own training programs that are probably teaching similar things but we're really excited to start kind of investigating what it's going to look like for us to make something. Maybe it's sponsored by CSU Extension. Maybe it's sponsored by another, uh, you know, institution in the area, but an urban farm program. Because like you said, there's there's different ways to do these things. And mm -hmm. it's not always on a big giant acreage farm out in the middle of nowhere with a big tractor. Yeah, well, and, and that's right. Because um, I think, you know, over the last eight or 10 decades, um, the, the local community farms that, um, people had in, in their own little regions of, of an urban area, potentially mm -hmm. those all went away. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so now people are heavily reliant on their local grocery store or their local corner gas station, if that's all they have. Right. And so I, I just love the idea of bringing those urban farms back into the community because, you know, I, I talk about this a lot in my teaching, like if we can, if we can get away from people um, having to rely on grocery stores and, and gas stations and, and restaurants and that kind of stuff for the majority of their foods, um, and if they can figure out a way to have their food locally available so that as they're walking home from school, as they're walking home from work, they're walking past the farm, which has the farm stand, which, you know, they can buy their vegetables or their meats or their produce or whatever, you know, is, is being produced there. Um, it, it, it just, it just improves so, in so many different things get improved by that. So, um, I'm, I'm, uh, Again, all in favor <laughs> for, for what you're doing. So that's great. Yeah. Um, so there is one question about urban farming. Um, there's traffic, there's, you know, um, exhaust, there's, you know, in, in Commerce City. And, you know, for those who are not local, Commerce City is um, sort of in the Denver metro area there's oil refineries there, like there's lots of pollution in a city. Mm -hmm. And so um, do you worry about like potential um, previous toxins or, or pollute, pollutants that got into the soil that you're using for your farming? Um, do you worry about just being in, in, in the middle of a, a highly polluted area, you know, Denver is famous for the brown cloud. Yep. Um, how does, does that come into the thought processes or do you do anything to talk about that? 
Yeah, so that's actually it's a that's a really great question, uh, and we do get that question quite often because you're like, oh yeah, the farmland looks so beautiful, fresh air, and then the city, you're like, there's a farm here. Um, but the cool thing is, it, it kind of depends on how you farm. Um, there's first of all, uh, anything previously in the soil, we anytime we start a new farm, we do extensive soil testing, and in fact, we do soil testing every single year, so we know what our plants took out of the soil, what maybe was inputted into our soil. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully not, but could happen. Um, and then we're able to amend or or encourage our soil to overcome some of those challenges. Um, luckily, the places that we've built farms uh, have been pretty ideal places and to some degree, at least with soil. Um, we always come in and we still build our soil. And um, one of the ways that I think that we keep, we, we both get over any sort of previous things, which we haven't seen in any of our soils, but there's sometimes there's minute differences or there's not enough nutrients because it's been compacted underneath a basketball court for however long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do those soil tests to really get an understanding, but then we also, we, we practice soil rejuvenation, rejuvenation with our farming through no-till and low-till farming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so after that first initial year, the building phase always brings in more compost. We're gonna bring in some uh, like leaf matter and straw and cover crop and really try to awaken the soil, get the biology in the soil moving again. And once that starts happening, we don't have to till, we don't have to do much to our soil except for monitor. Um, soil is the most important part of horticulture. Um, yeah. I, people always, I used to work in a garden center was where I got my start in the horticultural world. And people come in and buy fertilizers and go, I'm fertilizing my plant. And it very quickly became clear that yes, yeah, not what you're doing. You're actually feeding your soil. And if your soil doesn't have anything to feed, then you're not gonna be feeding your plants either. So. Mm-hmm. I could digress a little bit because soil health is so fascinating and I love soil science, but yeah, when you take really good care of your soil, that biology in your soil, the bacteria, the fungus, any micronutrient or microorganisms, little bugs, whatever it might be, um, they're actually helping to filter out all of those things. So a lot of pollution um, can be dangerous um, and we do see that some things can, can leach in or get sequestered. Um, what we're seeing on our farms is that we don't have any negative um, or really dangerous things getting sequestered or held into our soil because the soil is fine. It's got this ecosystem. It's doing really well. It doesn't need a lot. The only thing that we're really starting to study and we're doing it at our farm up in Longmont um, underneath the solar panels is see how much carbon can we actually, we actually are starting to see that these urban farms can help reduce the number of, of pollution in the area and create a green space that is, it's like having houseplants in your house and it filters out all the air of your house. Mm-hmm. It's very similar on a farm. We can filter out the air of a neighborhood and the soil is doing the filtering, which is nice. And our plants are just getting the nutrients that come out of that. They're not, mm-hmm. not things leaching from the soil up into our plants. Mm-hmm. So, now I will say one thing is a little bit interesting is that Denver has recently been playing with their pH of the water a little bit um, that comes out of the tap. And so mm-hmm. that's been an interesting thing for us to, to monitor. We haven't seen any major changes yet in our soil com- composition, but with that, being a few years now into into that phase of changing the pH, it could. So we'll we'll start to see as things go on. But but no, we really see our farms as this this ecological stewardship area where we're really trying to promote ecology, wildlife, um, better environment, better air, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have my own quite large garden, um, and I you know I my main priority is always what can I do to keep my soil healthy and Mm -hmm. you know um no no till I don't till I do cover crops all that kind of stuff I 
cool. keep it covered all the time. I never have bare soil. So um, always really prioritizing the health of my soil. And whenever I uh, dig in and I see lots of worms, I'm always very happy. So <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's, it's, that's it's, a good sign. So much. There's something so satisfying about putting your hand in like really healthy soil. They've actually proven there's been studies that have come out to say that it boosts your immunity and boosts your mm -hmm. mood just having your hands in the soil. So mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, there are um, other urban farms uh, in the Denver metro area. Um, for those who uh, are interested in farming and urban farming in particular, um, how do they start one of their own, either in the Denver metro area with the others that are here or in a place that doesn't even have them yet? So what kind of things do you think, uh, could you recommend for people who are interested in pursuing this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so First of all, it's one of the things I mentioned from what we have planning for coming up in the future is we're, as an organization, knowing that we do sprout these city farms and we've been successful quite a few times now, we want to make a business kit that we can provide to folks to be like, here's how you can get started in your city or in your region of Denver or wherever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll be on the lookout for that and we'll definitely be, that'll be listed on our website when it goes out probably later this year, uh, closer mm -hmm. to the fall time. Mm -hmm. um, but if someone's really interested in this and this is like, just really starting to, to check a bunch of boxes in your brain. I want to be an urban farmer. Um, best thing you can do is reach out to a local urban farm that is in your area, if there is one, and start developing that relationship because building a farm is tough. Um, you don't always have to have the land. You can, a lot of the urban farms I know of in the area started in their backyard, started growing for 10 families a summer. Mm -hmm. And as they got bigger, they started looking for land and other options and they had a lot of resources through the connections they made with other farmers to figure that out. Um, but even so, even if there aren't other farmers in your area, you can reach out to us at Sprout City Farms. You can reach out to any of the other really cool organizations in Denver doing this work as well. Um, but yeah, having someone to kind of help at least guide you through that first little bit is really helpful because building a farm from figuring out water to soil to how are you going to do a CSA, it's, it's a lot of things. So mm -hmm. it's very worth it um, and it's really, really fun. Mm -hmm. So I encourage anyone who wants to do that to yeah, definitely reach out. Yeah, nice. Good. Cool. Well, um, so you mentioned your website. Uh, um, tell us what your website is and then what are other ways that people can learn about you and hear what's what's going on on a daily basis? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so our website is sproutcityfarms.org. So sprout is singular and then cityfarms.org. Um, um, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook page. You can search for us at Sprout City Farms. Um, and coming this summer, we'll also be having our YouTube and our TikTok channel be more unveiled. We have a YouTube channel now, but we'll be unveiling and doing a lot more videos. Um, and so you can get to know us through the, our social media, learn how to get involved with us through our website. Um, and we'd love to have everyone become a part of our community in some way or another. So please reach Great. out. Nice. Good. Well, thanks so much for your time. I have really enjoyed talking to you and learning about this. Um, yeah. And uh, it's it's so nice to be able to have a resource that when people say, well, I live in a city where, you know, I, I can't, can't, don't have easy access to foods. And I can say, well, go to them and they'll, they'll help you out. So yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm, I pride myself on being a good resource to get resources for people who need the resources. So 
I'm going to add you to my list. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me today. This has been great. So yeah. Um, excited to see where our partnership continues to do. So. Yeah, nice. All right. Well, thanks so much. Have a great day. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the NTI Pod Talk. After Diane and Stefan said their on-air goodbyes, they continued the conversation where Stefan shared some things about Sprout City that we thought you might be interested in. Stay tuned for some bonus content and conversation. Thanks again for listening. Fabulous. Wow. Cool. Well, that, that was okay? Fun. Was that good? Yeah, it was awesome. It was okay. awesome. Um, I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to put you on the spot, but do you guys use organic practices? Like I, yeah. you're not certified organic, but I'm assuming you're not using chemical sprays and those kinds of things. No. Yeah. So we, yeah. Um, so being organic is actually super hard. Um, yeah. and actually a little, I don't want to, I don't want to make the jump to fully, it's not a racist procedure or system, but it is very much a, a very exclusive group of people that yeah. can go forward and have access to become certified organic. That's right. Yeah. What we just actually learned, it's cool that you ask us this um, or ask me this just like a couple months ago, we were starting to learn about something called certifi certified uh, naturally grown. Um, oh. It was started the same year that naturally or the certified organic was started by the farmers who started the organic program, but didn't like what the government did with it. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to start our own then. And yeah. so we do follow those. We're, we're in the process of like getting our application in, but we already check all the boxes that they require. And yeah, so we do everything naturally grown. We don't mm -hmm. do uh, any sort of external inputs that are synthetically made. The only sort of thing we do is fish emulsion. Yeah. Um, it's probably the biggest thing we add. We do compost tea, um, but we're going to have to change that um, in the way we do it because naturally certified has some stipulations, but compost tea is really important as well as far as the soil health goes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, and then all of our seeds, we buy all organically certified seeds because at least seed companies can usually afford to become organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, the 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 certified organic is not even priority for me. It's just do you use, yeah, um, or you know, naturally uh, um, natural uh, processes and. Or are you shipping in fertilizer? So that was my biggest question. And, and I didn't want to ask because just in case you do. No, use, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't want it to be, uh, you know, standing out there on a public forum. So um, yeah. anyways, well, this was really fascinating. And uh, um, I think that we, we would have students and grads who'd be really interested in volunteering, certainly. Um, volunteering to do some nutrition education for some of your programs because, um, yeah. or, you know, if you have a paid position uh, or, or paid, you know, one time at a time presentations, um, yeah. because we have so many students who their goal is to help underserved communities. And it, it's a challenge because when you come from the standpoint of nutrient density, that means staying away from ultra-processed, really cheap foods. Yeah. Be, and because they're, they're cheap for a reason, you know, because they're not good quality and they're not nutrient dense and they're, you know, junk. Yeah. And so, so there's this really difficult line that you have to figure out how to cross to support underserved, undernourished communities in a way that it is financially available to them. And, and we, we run up against this all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we have, um, 
in the past several times had people call us, you know, from different types of organizations. Um, we'd really love to have a nutritionist come in and give an educational talk to our, you know, whatever group, um, uh, you know, and um, what, what, kind, what kind of things can you talk about, about eating healthy on a budget? And I'm like, well, what's the budget? Well, like 99 cents a meal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, it's, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I haven't figured out how to bridge that problem, that, that, that huge chasm. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so, you know, to, to hear that you have this already going, you know, business or pro project work that you do mm -hmm. um, is great because it, it, like I said, it's, it's a good resource that I can point people to when they talk about, I can't afford to eat well. Yeah. So. They, and we're not the only farm that does uh, no cost veggie shares every week either. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it's just getting the word out there. Mm -hmm. And we also see that there's a gap there though, too, because we can only supply that for the 18 weeks in the summer that we have food to supply yeah. and there's right. the rest of the, all the other weeks of the year. Um, right. And so that there, yeah, we're also kind of always thinking about that in a similar way of like, okay, we feel like we're doing good, but there's a next step here. And what is right. that? Um, and I think as we start to see more local farms, hopefully we see a lot more farm stands and people choosing to go to those for their food. And what that does is it, it reduced the costs for mm -hmm. drastically because it's from down the street, not from 150, 200, 700 miles away. Right. Um, and then it, there's also, you were saying something earlier about how like people are like, ah, veggies don't taste good. I'm like, yeah. there's something about veggies at a farm stand that look like they taste really good. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is, how they're displayed, but you go to a grocery store and you're like, ah. And then you go to a farm stand and you're like, wow, that looks real yeah. good. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Do you guys do teach um, fermenting and dehydrating for food preservation? You know, talking about those <laughs> other months of the year where you're not able to support because you can't mm -hmm. grow things in Colorado in the middle of winter. <laughs> yeah, uh, so that's one of the, that we are going to start doing that this year. We we did a little bit of it last year. We prototyped a couple like um, join our Zoom meeting and we're going to go through a recipe with you. But I think through a lot of what we we did with that successes and challenges. That's one of the reasons why we're going to start doing more of our TikTok and YouTube channels is to help people learn how to do that. And we also want one of our Saturday workshops, uh, as well as our intern curriculum to have preservation and fermenting and like mm -hmm. all of that, like beyond the harvest kind of stuff mm -hmm. uh, incorporated in so we can teach as many people as possible. So mm -hmm. share a video or you can come to our farm and learn with us. We're building right. an outdoor kitchen, which is something I forgot to mention. Um, we got a grant school, not for kitchen at the Denver Green School. Um, it will be pretty low tech like it's not going to have the coolest fanciest things but it'll have a grill stove counter space sink um all of that so we'll be able to do a lot more kind of demonstrations and, yeah, and workshops at the farm so nice yeah well it sounds like you're just such oh a great great thing great program yeah it is it's really fun i've only been here for a year and i've loved every minute of it so far mm -hmm. so really nice well, thanks so much for your time today. And I'm not sure, Amber will definitely reach out to you and let you know when this is going to be posted. Cool. Um, and so that that way you guys can post it as well. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, hope to 
generate some interest in your program and maybe yeah. some of, of your uh, community would be interested in going to school. So we'll- Absolutely. We'll I, yeah. I think a lot of, we have so many people that are interns that are like, I'm so passionate about cooking and I want to intern on the farm. And I'm like, cool, you should also help us with cooking. But then that seems like a perfect bridge to send it to you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and that, that does bring up a thing. If you if you think of anything you and Amber talk and there's anything in particular you want me to like send to y'all that you can spread with your students, like a flyer, or opportunities coming up, things like that, just let me know. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have anything put together right now, but if it's valuable, mm -hmm. easily do that. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll make sure that she keeps that on her list to reach cool. out. Awesome. Well, all right, thanks. So thanks. Yep, bye-bye. Every little cell in my body is happy, every little cell in my body is well, every little cell in my body is happy.